0: You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. You can join several of the hosts from the Master Photography Podcast Network, along with well-known photographers like our friend Nick Page and Greg Benz at the third annual Create Photography Retreat. It's going to be in Las Vegas, March 28th to 30th in 2019. If you've never been around hundreds of photographers just as passionate as you are, then you've got to come and join us and have that experience. The early bird pricing just barely ended, but... Tickets are on sale over at createphotographyretreat.com for only $417. It's quite a steal. So you need to head over Such to a steal. create
1: That is so cheap. Yes.
0: <laughs> createphotographyretreat.com and get your tickets today. Um, it's going to be really fun. You're going you, know, you want to be there. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show, all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, host of this episode, and I'm joined today by Erica Kay and Brian McGuckin. Thanks for joining me, guys. Hey. hello. Good to be together. Uh, Yeah. Brian is like this dearly departed soul that we finally (laughs) have back on the podcast.
1: Finally. Finally, Brian.
0: I know i 'm sorry life happens and it does it's not always it's not always fun, but it does all right so let 's get straight to it we uh, we 're going to start off with a question that came up in the Facebook group and I loved it because I very clearly remember going through like exactly the same question myself not very long ago. And I thought it would be a really good thing to talk about it on the show. And I, I, I want to make sure we go through like thought processes here. So I'm going to I'm going to try to ask a ton of questions, remembering my experience of someone who just not very long ago went through kind of learning this and sharing it because i think that the process the thought process is more important than like we're going to talk about some specific settings but it's it's how you arrive at them and and how you're deciding to change things um, that's, that I want to make sure we, we get through as much as possible. So we may overdo it even a little bit, but it's okay because I think a lot of people really want us to, to go in on that thought process. We're going to talk about how to get good exposure indoors. And it's, it's a pretty good challenge, especially at like event photography. Um, so weddings or, or other events indoors. And, and we're going to go through But let, let's read the question first. So Marcello, I think that's how you'd say it is Marcello. Um, Sofiantini. I don't know. I'm probably slaughtering it. I love that name. That Nick. sounded good. That sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he said, I, he's a great listener. He's been involved in our Facebook groups for a long, long time. And um, I've been, he said, I, I've been asked to photograph an indoor event along with other photographers. I have never shot indoors unless it was just for myself. I use a Yongnuo 564 as a speed light and my Nikon D500. I'll be taking a lot of candid shots. Does anyone have any suggestions? This is not a last minute post. I've seen many, as I have seen many times, people do on Facebook. I have plenty of time to prepare. Thanks in advance for any input. So hopefully the podcast will even come out in time for uh, to, for Marcello to get some advice from us on the podcast. We already did in the Facebook group, give him some advice, but, um, but I, I want to go through this uh, approaching it, not just for Marcello here. And I mean, we're going to talk about some specific things for him, but just in general, this challenge, and how do you how do you go about it? So Erica, you face this kind of uh, all the time, uh, events, weddings, you, you're in this kind of a situation a lot. So I, I want to start off by talking about let's let's limit the equipment because you got a lot of nice equipment that you have built up over the years to for your business that help mm-hmm. you in this area. But we want we got to limit it down because he doesn't have that here. And I want you to... Let, let's say all you have is a single flash like you talked about and the the camera. You got a, He's got a nice Nikon D500. It's a really good uh, camera to be able to, to use. It's got some pretty good ISO and performance even. So how would you start? How would you approach getting a good exposure with that kind of equipment?
1: Well, first, before I answer that question, I just want to say thanks Jeff for like really digging into this as as much as you have just looking at the show notes there's a ton of questions here and I appreciate that because sometimes since I've been doing it for so long and and it's just it comes so naturally to me now sometimes I I forget that I need to explain things a little more <laughs> so so I'm really glad that you're going to be asking all these questions because sometimes I'm just like yeah do this and do this and do this and then you're done and it's good um and people are like, nope, I don't get it. So right, right. I, I'm, I'm glad that we're really digging into this deeper, and I'm um, going to be asking some of these questions that, that some of us might forget about sometimes. Um, but going back to your question, what would the initial settings be, and and or kind of, you know, how you decide what you're going to do at first? it is very dependent on the environment. So it's it's hard to say you have to use these specific settings because it's going to depend on your environment. Right. It's going to depend on the ambient light in the environment. It's going to depend on what lens you're using. You know, the settings are going to be different depending on which lens you're using. Um, so it's it's hard to say, but I'll just give you an overview of of what is most common for me in environments like this. So the first thing that you need to focus on is how you're going to best capture the ambient light in the room. So in order to blend your flash and make your flash look as natural as possible and avoid having like a really dark background with a really bright subject, you've got to balance out the ambient light in the room with your flash. So the first thing you need to do is figure out how to expose for that ambient light and the best Way to do that is to focus on your shutter speed, because your shutter speed is the thing when you're factoring in all four things, your shutter speed, your aperture, your um, ISO and your flash. Your shutter speed is the one that's really going to control the ambient light Um the best so you want to start with a lower shutter speed and when I say a lower shutter speed that is different depending on the lens you're using if you're using a 70 to 200 maybe your low shutter speed would be something like a hundred if you're using a 50 your low shutter speed is going to be much lower than 100. So you have to determine what lens you're using and then set your shutter speed to a low speed for that particular lens.
0: Okay, let me stop. I'm I'm going to no, no, Go ahead, Brian.
2: (laughs) Your turn. (laughs) Because when I was reading the show notes, I saw that and I'm like, oh, really? Like I never, (laughs) you know, I don't sit there and think about it. I just do it. But I never sat there and thought it makes a difference between you know the seventy to
0: two hundred compared to the twenty four seventy so why why is that okay, so it, brian, this, this was exactly where I wanted to go. I wanted to give everyone kind of a a rule of thumb that they can use and and it what this was something I heard early on, and it it clicked for me i don 't know if it will for everybody. Maybe just I'm such a techie that it, it helped me and it won't help everyone, but but here's here's the rule. It's called the reciprocal rule. And it's a lot a lot of photographers talk about this all the time. And they just say it that way. Oh, you use the reciprocal rule and they move on. You're like, well, what the heck does that mean? What's the reciprocal rule? All right. So here here it is. It is plain now, terms. Wait, wait, wait wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you again. Okay. Now, you say you know,
2: photographers say reciprocal rule. You're the first photographer I've ever heard say that. Okay. So
0: maybe maybe geeky photographers. <laughs> okay, sure, have, oh, sure.
1: I know where you're going with this, Jeff, I think.
0: Okay, so it, it is what it, what it helps with is... And it's just a rule of thumb. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed. It's not like if you follow this, you are going to have perfect photos. It's It's a starting point. That's one of your challenges, right? You're going into this dark room where you want to take a photo. And you've got four settings now to worry about. You've got aperture, shutter, speed, and ISO on your camera and your flash power and location. So maybe there's five. To- anyway, there's some things to think about. And it could be so overwhelming to someone who's never done it before because you're like, I-, I don't even have a clue what to set. Like, where's the starting point? And then we're going to talk about how do you adjust after you've got your starting point, but where's the starting point? So this rule is a starting point, And then you have to adjust specific to your Circumstances specific to your gear, the ambient light in the room, what you're comfortable with, what your results are you're shooting for, all of that, those kinds of things. You got it, it comes from experience, and you may decide that you want to, you have an entirely different starting point than even this general rule of thumb is. And that's okay, you get that with experience. But it, for someone who has never done it before, this is really solid advice for a starting point on shutter speed. The reciprocal rule is you don't want to go any slower on the shutter speed than the focal length you are shooting. So if you're shooting 24 millimeters, in theory, you could go as slow as 1 24th of a second. That's not an actual setting on any camera. So whatever the next uh, on your camera, the next shutter speed up from that is. And uh, the idea is that you won't have your own camera shake cause a problem with blurry photos as long as you follow that rule. If you're shooting at 70 millimeters, then no slower than 1 70th of a second. If you're going, if you're shooting uh, 200 millimeters, no slower than 1 200th uh, of a second. And, and that will help. Now that's the reciprocal rule that I just said is for something that's not moving. If you're shooting something that's not moving fast, like you're not indoor shooting a basketball game, then that works. If you're shooting something that's moving fast, you have to double it. So if if you're indoors and you're shooting a 200 millimeter lens, you don't want any slower than one four hundredth of a second to kind of make it so you have a really good chance of freezing the motion, having nice, crisp, uh, high quality images. So... That, that's the general rule, a starting point, not guaranteed. You gotta try out your cameras. Some are gonna have body stabilization or lens stabilization that can help with that and make it so you can go lower than that, slower than that, but that's usually what you're fighting. You're not usually, you're not usually having to slow down your, your um, shutter speed um, or worried about being too fast on your shutter speed. You're fighting against no light. And so you gotta have as slow a shutter speed as you can get it, and you don't wanna go any lower on the shutter speed than your focal length. Does that makes sense. Okay.
2: Yes. So,
1: except when you're using flash.
2: Sure. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I was going to say. So, okay. So I totally knew that rule. I just never knew it was called the reciprocal, reciprocal rule. And, yeah. And I use that. And when I tell other photographers, that, I just simply simply say that your shutter speed should often be at you know at the slowest whatever your focal length is. Uh-huh. So that that totally makes sense, and I get that. But I never thought about how that applied to flash photography. So I guess Erica. You can explain that for me then.
1: So your flash is going to freeze motion, um, whether it's motion of the subject or just your hand shake and the camera. So you can go lower than your reciprocal rule when you are using flash because the flash is going to freeze motion. So, for example, I shoot a lot at receptions and, and other events where I'm using my flash with my 72 70 to 200 and will often shoot at a shutter speed of like 50 or 70, even if I'm zoomed all the way into 200, because my flash is bright enough to freeze whatever motion is happening, whether it's from my hand or from the subject itself, you that's not to say that it always works because if you have your flash at a low power, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be as strong to freeze that motion. Your flash has to be at a little higher power to be able to freeze that motion. So you have to be careful with it, experiment with it, but you can get away with a, a slower shutter speed when you're using flash because it will freeze the motion. So when I'm saying, start with your shutter speed and have a low shutter speed to really bring in the ambient light. That's when you can get away with lowering that shutter speed below your, your um, focal length so that it lets in more of the ambient light.
2: Perfect. Okay. And I totally, I do that as well. <laughs> I, I, never, I never sat there and thought about how it mattered as to the focal length of my lens when I'm, I'm shooting flash like that.
1: Yeah, so like I said I shoot a lot with the 7200 and we'll sometimes shoot around like 50 a 50, 50th of a second or something like that. If I'm shooting with my wide, my 16 to 24, sometimes I'm shooting as low as like um maybe like an 8th of a second because my flash is bright enough to freeze the motion. Now that's super slow and you have to you have to be careful when you're shooting like that because that is really slow. But because I'm using that lens and I'm combining that with a higher powered flash, I can freeze that motion at such a low shutter speed and still get all that beautiful ambient light coming in. Right. I would not use that shutter speed with my 7200.
0: <laughs> right. It, it It is very dependent on the focal length. It does matter. But, but experimenting is really the key. That's why I, I I tried to make it assure that it was, it's the starting point. It's it's where it's a good place to start. And then you experiment and go, well, there's just, there's not enough ambient light. I got to go slower. Then give it a try. Go, go slower, take a shot and see what happens until you can say, oh no, no, now there's too much motion blur or now there's, I can tell my my own shake is causing problems with the sharpness of the photo. And then, you know, you've gone too far and you got to bump the shutter speed back up. It's all experimentation it, the beautiful thing about digital photography is we don't have to paper shot. So, so take them and go test it and and try it out as you're doing it. It's okay that it's not like you're showing you're not a competent photographer by taking test shots. You you go do it and however oh, no. you get there to get the the thing done.
1: Absolutely, I take test shots every every time I shoot. I mean, I don't have all these settings memorized for every specific lighting situation. I test every single time I shoot. I mean you you just you have to unless you're going to use a light meter and take the time to do all that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well and even then, it's just yeah.
1: Still test test shots, yeah. Okay,
0: so so we talked about the shutter speed. Uh what other things do you start off with? Like that's only one of your five or six things we're we're worried about as you getting in there. So what else what other things would you, how do how do you get a starting point?
2: Mm-hmm. Ben, can I jump in for a second? Yeah. Go for it. Um, just to piggyback on to about the ambient light, I think one of the most important times to make sure that you're recording or capturing the light of the room is in a wedding reception because they often, you know, intentionally have certain lighting, whether it's, you know, the red or the blue or the lights that come from the DJ stands or whatever. And you don't want to overpower that. So I think, you know, if, if you're doing, you know, like portraits inside a building, that would be different, in my opinion, or shooting some type of event. But especially, I think during a wedding, because you don't want the couple to come back and look at those pictures and say, "This, this, this isn't what it was like." You know, right, this isn't right. what the reception was like. You sure you captured a picture, but everything's all bright, and you know that's not what. I remember from the night. And so I just think that's important to make sure that, especially during a wedding reception, to make sure
0: that you're able to capture that ambient light. And I think it's a big consideration for pretty well, any indoor event. They lighting is one of the things people plan as part of the event, regardless whether it's a wedding or, or other things, unless maybe it's like basketball or something, an indoor sport, then they usually have as much light as they can possibly get to, to light it for the athletes. But besides that, the lighting has purposely been planned. And you're right, Brian. you got to try to make it look that way in the photos. You don't want to just make it look like noon outdoors, mm-hmm. even though you could.
1: Mm-hmm. That's why I said the very first thing I focus on is how to get that ambient light in there. Because right. like you said, they've planned it. And maybe even more importantly, they've paid a lot of money <laughs> right. for it to look like that. So you need to make sure that you're capturing it, you know, how, how they chose to have it set up.
0: Right. Okay, so what other settings, Erica? Let's let's. How about aperture? Where would you put aperture? Uh,
1: so that is going to depend on you know what what you're trying to do. I my preference is to shoot as wide open as possible. So I tend to shoot at two point eight with my seventy two hundred at maybe two with my fifty at two point eight with my sixteen to twenty four because I like that look. Some people. Mm-hmm either don't like having as much uh, bokeh in the background or they don't feel as comfortable shooting as wide open. So, you know, you can stop down a little bit. That for me, in my in my terms of priority, <laughs> that for me is one of the most important things outside of making sure I get the ambient light. So I try to shoot as wide open as possible, but you don't have to do that. You can shoot with, with uh, at whatever depth of field you're comfortable with or whatever depth of field you prefer.
0: Okay, Brian, what about you? How do you decide where you're going to do with aperture?
2: I usually always shoot wide open as well, uh, often because I just want whatever my subject is to be the focal point and have the eyes to be led to that.
0: Yeah. So, and really, I think most of the time you're forced into it because a lot of event photography is they're not even taking advantage of all the lights they could have indoors. They've turned a bunch of them (laughs) off. It's dark. And so you have these really, really dark environments. Even if every building light was on, you don't have enough light usually, but they turn them off on purpose. Again, we talked about that. They have planned the lighting and it is not to use the building lights. And so, uh, so right off the bat, you are, you are really behind as far as light on the scene to, uh, to make it so you get good exposures. And, um, so you, you're pretty much forced into, um, a wide open aperture if you have it. Uh, I mean, people can still, you can still make some choices to, to stop it down and, and make that aperture number go up. Uh, but yeah, I would guess most of the time indoors you want as wide open an aperture as fast a lens as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, also, right. depending yeah. on the type of event that you're shooting, uh, there's
2: a company locally that hires me a lot just to come in and shoot the decor, the setup. Oh, sure. So that way, they can use that as advertisements to show here's you know some possibilities that we can do. So, depending on you know what it's like in that area, I have many times asked the lighting people you know, it's before the event has started. Could you bump up the lights just a little bit? You know, because every little bit helps, in my opinion. Right. Unless, unless, you know, they've got some intentional major lighting taking place. Um, In addition to that, you know, if you're shooting the decor, sometimes if if you're not wanting to use a flash, you know, making sure you have a tripod and, you know, getting your shots, but then you're moving this tripod from a table to table to table or, you know, oftentimes to get a full big room shot. But, you know, depending on the situation, if you're there ahead of time and you're able to ask people to if they can just bump the lights up a little bit for a few minutes, they they often will. But they're going to be quick to put them back down because they want it to be set up.
0: All right. Let's go to the last setting on the camera. ISO. Yeah, Erica, where do you put the ISO?
1: I typically start maybe around 400. That's actually the last thing that I change mm-hmm. or focus on. Mm-hmm. Um so I try to start somewhere, you know, relatively low, not all the way down because again, it's usually pretty dark and you do need a little extra bump. So like four to 600 is where I usually start. And then if I do need extra, um, exposure, then I'll, that will be the last thing that I adjust.
0: Sure. And 400 because one hundred's just usually not going to be enough. Is that right? Is that why you start right. there? Yep. Okay. Brian, what about you? Same same thing.
2: 400 as well. Because you can't go wrong with 400. And that gives you room to kind of go up and down from there if you
0: if you need to. And you know what the beautiful thing is, and this is going to be the really super technical geeky thing. Uh, with, <laughs> with most of the modern cameras, up to 400, you still have full dynamic range in your camera. When you start going past 400, even on the really good ones, because it's, it's not noise that to me is the primary factor on having like poor image quality past 400, its dynamic range goes down. So Past 400 on every camera, um, some of them are even before that at 300 or 200, but past 400 on most cameras, even today, your dynamic range is starting to go down and you're actually, it, it actually affects the resolution of your photos. So the, the lower you can get it, the better, but we're, in, we're, we're battling against really poor lighting <laughs> and, uh, and you're probably just going to have to at least have it be 400 uh, to have a chance at getting some good exposures. Uh, okay, so we got those three settings. So it, just to review, it's your focal length is probably a good setting for uh, starting off on your shutter speed. Go open it up as wide as you can and do ISO 400, and then you're going to adjust from there. It's probably not going to be right. It's just a starting point, and you're going to need to adjust. Okay, what about the flash now? What do you set the power of the flash to, Eric? Let's start me, with you. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. For me, I, I try to go somewhere in the middle. So a 32nd, maybe a 64th is a good starting point for me. Uh, again, trying to blend the flash with the environment. You don't, you want to try to avoid going, um, with a really high power because it won't look as blended. It'll look definitely like flash. Um, so this, the, 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 lower power you can use the better sometimes you have to go higher just because of the environment because it's too dark or maybe you're you're um you know you're far away, or maybe you have a flash that that is just not as powerful. So your one sixteenth maybe is equivalent to my one thirty second. Right. Um, For whatever reason, you you might need to adjust that. But I think starting at the midpoint of your flash is a good starting point, and then you can adjust from there.
0: And the number of them has a big impact too. You usually shoot with three, you said, right, Erica? In the past, you've said three three flashes in the yes. room.
1: Yes. Yep. I'm limiting that now as uh-huh. an experiment at okay. weddings, but historically, yes.
0: So if you have more flashes, then you might be able to get away with lower powers on each of them if they're all firing at the same time. But Definitely. When you, our situation here is we only have one. So we'd recommend starting off at one thirty-two. I like that recommendation. What about where... Or Brian, would you say, do you do anything different there?
2: Uh, I would say I usually start a little bit around one eighth or one sixteenth. Okay. I think a lot of it depends, at least in my mind. I sit there and think, well, what's the seething like? How high is it? You know, is there room for the light to bounce at
0: all? Sure. Well, and, and having it as low a power as you can get away with is good so that you have better recycle times. That, meaning that they'll, they'll charge up way faster after each pop so that you're ready to take another shot. He said he was going to do candids. That's going to be kind of an important aspect. You, if you got to wait multiple seconds, you're, that's time that you can't take another shot yet uh, in mm-hmm. between. So the lower you can get it, the better there and the longer those batteries are going to last. If If you have to go and replace your batteries, I don't know, every 15 or 20 minutes, that's that's going to be rough. You're gonna now now again. You have more time. You're losing on the candid shoots shots that you can take because you have to put batteries in your in your flash. So as as low as you can get it, but y- you've got to add the light you need to get a good a good shot and have a good exposure indoors. So you, you're gonna have to do whatever you have to do given your equipment. But as low as yeah. you can get it is is where you want to target it.
1: Right, and I would say just. If you're changing your batteries every 15 to 20 minutes, you are using the wrong (laughs) batteries.
0: Sure. Okay. (laughs) That's what I was saying. Sure. Yeah. You
1: should be able to. I use one set of batteries for an entire wedding, sometimes two. So you need to to be using better batteries if you're finding yourself changing them a lot.
0: All right. Um, how about where you're pointing the flash? Um, lots, lots of people see it where like it's on the hot shoe. Let's talk about that first. Actually, he didn't mention if he has a controller. So I guess we're going to have to assume he's going to be just using it on the hot shoe on the camera. Um, so given that restraint that you don't, you don't have off camera as an option, let's talk about that first. How are you going to use it, Erica?
1: If it's on my camera, I will be bouncing it. Whether that is bouncing it off of a wall or a ceiling or even using a bounce card, you don't want to point the flash directly at the subject if you can help it. Avoid pointing it right at your subject. It's gonna be really flat, really shadowy, just not attractive at all. So try bouncing it. And Brian, I really like your answer to this one because I do this as well, but I'm going to let you talk about it. I'm not going to steal your thunder.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm now I'm nervous to make sure I say the right thing. Um, Well, what I do is if I have my flash on top, usually I have it pointed straight up at first and then I take it and then I just tilt it forward like a notch or two. So that way it still bounces up. But then to me, it also kind of puts just a spills just a little bit of light on where their eye level would be. Was was that the right answer? Yeah,
1: well, and the, the MagSphere mag combination sphere. with
2: that, so, yeah. So here's the thing. Yeah, I use the MagSphere. Uh, if I have my lights on a light stand, because when I do reception, I do kind of two lights up on a stand and then w- the MagSphere on my camera. Um, and the ones that would be on the light stands tend to have just a diffuser over them and pointing um, maybe kind of straight on, or sometimes I'll go and mix it up and tilt them up a little bit. But usually the one that's on my camera... Will tilt forward just a tad bit. And I do use the MagSphere. Uh, recently, though, I've been having issues where uh, my, the weight of the MagSphere yeah. on with, with my Young Newells, <laughs> yep. it would just go whoop, and drop it straight down to where it's pointing
0: on. Yeah, you only and get two I'm... options it's straight up or straight or, or <laughs> 90 degrees. That's it. Right.
2: Well, so I did switch to, and so it's, I have Young Newell, I have like six Young Newell flashes because I love them. But um, I did switch it to a different young Neo, just thinking maybe the swivel head was kind of getting worn out a little uh-huh. bit and it was a little bit better. Yep. But I did still have it as an issue because I don't want it straight up. I want it to point, you know, lean forward, tilt forward just a little bit. But the MagSphere, what's good about that is, you know, it's like the round light bulb on top. So it kind of helps the light spread a lot better than bouncing it off of a card or something would.
0: Mm hmm. Okay, and, and you said diffuser over your flashes, Brian, what's a diffuser? Uh, the diffuser, that, uh, well, it
2: diffuses light. It's anything <laughs> you would put on top of the flash that would spread the light out. And so what I have, I found some cheap ones that fit perfectly on top of the Young Newell. So it's like a white cap that fits on it. Uh-huh. Um, and what I like about mine is it's really thin, so it doesn't raise it up like higher. So that way, when, it, when my flash is in the case, I can still close the case uh, the case cover, you know, to velcro it uh-huh.
0: where a lot of diffusers are thicker to where you have to keep it separate. Okay, good. All right. Those are, those are good discussions. And so talking through this, I I can so remember, I don't know if you guys can remember the very first time that you went in and used flash, but the first time that I went into event and I was scared to death because I, like we're talking about, I had no clue. How, how am I supposed to approach this? Now I, I'd done enough with with my camera to kind of understand aperture shutter speed ISO and, and get an exposure that way but I'd never I'd never really used flash before I tried some experiments in my home to try to get some kind of idea but I was just scared to death. And I don't do a lot of event photography anyway. Um, this was more like, you know, a family member in need <laughs> kind of situation. And, uh, and I was scared to death, but I was like, okay, I, I know I have to add light. There's no way that I'm going to get away with taking pictures. I knew they were going to have the lights way down low. And, uh, and I knew I had to add flash. So I just brought it and I stuck it on the top of my camera and I at least had, had the advice given to me of bounce it off the ceiling. This happened to be inside of a, a church building where the ceiling was probably, I don't know, 50 feet tall. It, it was, it was really high ceiling. And so I was nervous right at the beginning, like that's really tall. Is this going to work? How's this going to go? And the good thing is lights pretty fast as it travels. So <laughs> it did a fine job of lighting it up. And I was just shocked to find out how, to see how good that worked and how much difference that made in the photos. I could test it right there between the flash popping and and no flash. And it was amazing (laughs) how even just one flash on top of the camera bouncing off the ceiling, how much that changed the image quality and how good it made things look. Um, and how much better! So I, I was nervous too. Like I, <laughs> what came to my mind as I was thinking about going to do this event was the awful like Christmas morning pictures my p- parents took of me as a kid, and I'm sure you've <laughs> all seen those kinds of things where like they they had a flash or the the camera probably automatically popped up the little on camera flash that's there, mm-hmm. and they take the picture and it's pointing directly at you, and like the image is almost unusable. (laughs) It's almost so bad that you're like, I can't even tell like the person is there. And then like everything around them almost looks completely black. And it's just brutal, really, really ugly. And I was worried about how am I going to avoid having that since I didn't know what I was doing with Flash. I was worried about it. But yeah, I think just following those techniques, the starting point settings and, and just Even on the camera, putting, pointing it straight up the ceiling and take some, some test pictures to see how it looks can be a really cool thing. You gotta be careful of like, if the ceiling is not white then you could have some color casting happen. Um, or it might be better if the wall, if there's a wall near you, you might that might help too to, to do it that way. Kind of playing around with it. It's just kind of the whole point. Play around with it. Don't freak out. Just play around with the light. If you find something you like, then stick with it and go. But play around at the beginning and, and try to, to uh, figure out where it would go. Um, anything else you guys wanted to say about kind of the starting point
2: Um, I guess, no, not as a starting point, but I did have a question for Erica that deals with this. So I guess it's kind of maybe the next point after the starting point. (laughs) So the, an issue that I often have is a lot of times I'll be shooting in a place that's almost pitch black, dark, like a a bar would be, uh, Mm -hmm. because sometimes if it's like a celebrity athlete event that I'll do, you know, they're, they're in clubs and so it's dark. And so it's often hard if, you're trying to get a photo of somebody and your camera won't focus on them because the young Newells don't put out that little right. red. Well, I don't know the the term for it. The little red, you know.
1: Focus assist light, I think is what they call it.
2: Yeah. Is that what it is? And young Newell doesn't have that on there, correct? If right. so, I no. never discovered it. So sometimes that's difficult to do because, you know, there's a lot of tricks as far as, you know, find any bit of light that's on their face or if there's contrast between like a white collar on their shirt and a black jacket that they're wearing, if you can get that. But sometimes it's just way too dark and you take the picture, the flash goes off and you look at the camera and you're like, Oh, everything is blurry. And so, uh, you know, if you've got the time, then you could do things such as pointing the flashlight on your, uh, on your phone on them or ask them to hold up their phone or, you know, try to find a light, Uh, to focus on that's kind of an equal distance from where you're going to be to that subject. But what do you do Erica to, if you're in a situation like that where it's too dark for your camera to focus when you have to use flash?
1: Yeah. I don't know that I'm much help here because that happens to me a lot at weddings. It's after like the parent dances and first dance and all that kind of stuff. The DJ lowers the lights and it's like pitch black party time and it's super hard to focus. So I, my first step is to always do what you said, find a, a place of contrast, whether that's like a white skin up against a black jacket or a white shirt up against a black jacket or the bride's dress up against her hair or something with contrast. That is really helpful. But sometimes you just, you just can't do it and you can't just walk around shining a light in people's faces. <laughs> right. So in that situation, I just revert to manual focus. It is, it i'm not going to lie it sucks it's hard it takes time it, you know it makes the process much slower and you're not getting perfect focus every time but it's much you get much better results than just trying to rely on your camera focusing every time
0: another mm-hmm. suggestion um, go into live view because the focus <laughs> That's a good idea. the focus system used by live view is different than when you're looking through your viewfinder And it can go, it can do better in lower light than is capable with through the viewfinder. So that might be a little better than trying to do it manually um, to, it it takes some time. So, you know, it's, it's awful that you have to resort to that. But if it's too dark to get focus, then it's at least something you can try and you, you have an approach better to find a contrasting thing, like you said. So hopefully you have something quicker that you can use for that. But, uh, but live view might make it so you can get there.
2: I will say one thing that I that I do do is once I get a shot and I'm like, okay, that one was in focus. I try to remember the distance. And as I'm walking around the dance floor or wherever it is, sure. I try to maintain that same distance and mm-hmm. not, and not press my back button focus again. So that way I don't need to refocus. Right. If yeah. That makes sense.
1: And another thing, and if you're using flash, you can, uh, stop down your aperture and, sure. and, uh, you know, adjust your settings elsewhere so that if you're not exactly in focus on what you need to be, it's still pretty much in focus because, right. uh, because you're shooting at a lower aperture. Mm-hmm.
0: It's just tough though. You're reaching the limits of the camera and you're, you're talking about an environment now that's just really hard to shoot. <laughs> it's just rough.
1: Right. Yeah. It's,
0: it's hard. Let's hurry and take just a moment right here and thank a sponsor for this episode.
1: If you're anything like me, and you're looking for a professional printing service to turn your photos into canvas prints, you want someone who's reliable, who's using the highest quality canvas, and who is affordable. Well, good news, Royal Canvas is all three of those things. They print in 11 colors, use premium canvas that doesn't crack when it's stretched, and they ship super fast, usually within two or three days of ordering. Plus, if you ever need to contact them, you'll be talking to a real person who can help you out with accurate information and resolve any problems quickly. With Royal Canvas, you're getting a premium quality canvas, archival ink, and an expert stretch. So go ahead and give it a try. Go to royalcanvas.com slash master and you'll get 40% off of a single canvas print and an additional 10% off of poster or metal prints. Or if you'd like a sample, feel free to email service at royalcanvas.com And they'll send you a free canvas color swatch. That's royalcanvas.com/slash master for 40% off of a single canvas print and an additional 10% off of poster or metal prints.
0: Okay, so we got some starting points and we talked about some specific settings you can start at, probably not going to be what you need. I I would go into it with that mindset. You're starting at some point, you're going to have to change something. I want to ask you, Erica, first, and and then Brian, I want to know from you too, which setting are you going to go to first as you need to make it? Let's say you take a shot and it's still way too dark. It's underexposed because probably the most likely scenario is it's just still too dark. What, What setting are you going to change first and why?
1: Well, it depends on what is too dark. Is the environment too dark or is your subject too dark? Or maybe they're both too dark, whatever. Um, If your environment is too dark, then you you have to go to your camera settings. My first change would be my my shutter because, again, that's what's really going to let the ambient light in. Uh, the best. So if it's, if the environment's too dark and I have room to move my, to, to lower my shutter speed, that's what I do first. If the environment looks okay and my subject is too dark, then you've got to go to your flash power because that's really what's taking, that's what's um, exposing your, your subject the most. Um, So if, if my, if my environment looks good, I have a really pretty background with, you know, the, the lighting, being shown as it as I see it with my eye, then I'll go to my, my, um, my, what am I trying to say? My flash, my flash and adjust the power of my flash so that my, my subject is properly exposed.
0: Okay. Brian, what about you?
2: Um, I would say similar. I think the first thing I think is shoot, what did I do wrong? (laughs) No, because I, I usually feel like whatever I just shot, I usually had the settings somewhat right. But then the first thing I do check is, okay, did I accidentally bump my shutter speed? Sure. Which I've done before, you know? Uh, and then after that, I'll check the, the flash power uh, and, and go from there. But yeah, so okay. usually it's the shutter speed and then the flash.
0: And, and we're talking about all these settings. But the one thing we haven't asked at all about was what camera mode would you be using? It, to me, there's only one you can really use in this situation, but Erica, what, what camera mode would you be shooting in?
1: manual.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. And why? Why manual?
1: Well, it's, it's the only way that you are guaranteed to get, to get the look that you want. If you're shooting an auto, whether it's, it's auto on your camera or a setting on your flash, you're going to get what the camera thinks you should get. Um, And it will be very frustrating for you to try to figure out why you're not getting the look that you want. The only way that you can guarantee that you are getting the look that you want for both the background and the subject is to be shooting completely in manual, both on your camera and on your flash.
0: Okay, Brian, what about you? I agree completely. I
2: don't don't even really know how to use my other settings because I... (laughs) I really don't other than putting it on the green square, which which is something that is an option for somebody starting out to, you know, do one shot in auto auto everything and then look at what your camera said the settings were and look at the picture. And then, you know, that doesn't mean that the picture came out, but you can look at that and say, okay, I can see something in this photo. You know, what can I do to let in more light? And then, you know, switch it to manual and then, you know, set those settings. And then from there, slow down the shutter speed or change the aperture or whatever you need to do. But manual flash and the camera and manual is what I do.
0: Okay. So, and, and I agree manual mode. And, and here's why. If you've ever tried to do, to shoot the moon, you have seen what happens um, in, man, in auto mode and, and why it's, you, you just have to go manual. Your camera has like almost no shot at guessing correctly um, on what the exposure setting should be if you're gonna shoot the moon. You have all of this very, very dark area that's most of the photo when you're shooting the moon, unless you're you're able to get really zoomed in and have a really long focal length. And then you have in the middle, something that's really, really bright compared to that background. There's just a huge difference between those two things. And uh, and if you do it in auto, you can go try this. It's almost always going to produce a picture where the most of it looks kind of grayish and the moon is this massive bright ball of light. And there's no detail in the moon because the exposure was not set well. And you could try with some exposure compensation. You could dial it. But that's, that's almost as complicated as going into manual mode. So, um, so manual is, is where I would definitely say you got to go. So you're controlling these things. You're making decisions now about how you're going to change each of the settings, giving some of the rationale of what we're going through, thinking through maybe your shutter speed is the first option of how to change it. If it's too bright, then you, you need to increase your shutter speed. If it's too dark, maybe decrease it, get the, the ambient light to, to be where you want it to be. And then, if the person, maybe, and maybe that's where I would focus first is the ambient light. Get it to where you have the ambient light showing up like you want. And then, if the person's mm-hmm. not the right exposure, now you have some other stuff to go worry about. But, but um, getting that down kind of first. And then, and then the, the foreground and being in manual mode gives you all of the flexibility to be able to change one thing at a time and not have your camera making some decisions for you that you just don't even know about and having it be so inconsistent. It's, it can be super frustrating if you try to shoot it in a, in some kind of semi-automatic mode for indoor stuff. Now, I think there, there's some modes, there's some points where semi-auto is perfectly fine. So I'm not, I'm, I hate it when photographers make it sound as though if you're not shooting in manual, you're not a real photographer. That's not what I'm saying here. This is just a situation where manual is going to be way easier to deal with than some kind of auto or semi-auto mode. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: All right, let's see. Next little thing. All right. So you got, let's say Erica, you have, you have the shutter speed set, Just perfect for that ambient light to look good. We talked about kind of balancing the ambient light with making sure that your subject kind of looks like they belong in the scene, but you have as much light as you can get on your subject, on the on the model in the photo. How and and it's too dark. Like the ambient looks good, but the the person you just need a little bit more light on them. How are you going to adjust using all the settings you have available to you? What are you going to adjust?
1: If you just need more light on your subject, you have to adjust your flash. If you adjust your ISO, and this is one point I wanted to make, the ISO is always the last thing I adjust because that setting is going to affect the exposure of your entire image. It's gonna affect the exposure of your background, your ambient light, your subject, it's gonna change the exposure of everything. Shutter speed, only focuses on your, your ambient light and your background. The flash only, you know, focus on the things that it's gonna hit, which really is just your subject. Um, so if you're having a problem with your subject but the, but the ambient light looks perfect, don't adjust your ISO because it's gonna mess with your with your ambient light right. as well. You have to rely on your flash to properly expose your subject.
0: Okay, and in the situation we've been talking about, it's on the hot shoe of the camera and pointed straight at the ceiling. How is that... Is that likely to help in that situation?
1: Adjusting the flash? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can power up. Like Brian said, he, um, you know, he bounces. So he needs to power up. You know, he starts at like a 16th or something like that because he's bouncing. Uh, By having a higher power on your... A higher powered setting on your flash, there's more... Um, Not necessarily more light, but a stronger light coming out of the flash, which means there's more light that's going to fall on your subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, So powering up will help whether you're you're bouncing or you have it pointed directly at them or you have a diffuser on it, whatever. Uh, It will it will help.
0: Okay, perfect. Brian, anything else you want to add on that? Uh, Nope.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Eric is is saying all the right answers. Yeah, I know. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I think if you get to the point where you're like, well, my flash is as bright as it can be and it's pointing up and that's just not working, then to me it's like, okay, well, that's where then you point the flash down sure. and if you have to you point it straight at them if that's what it takes to get the shot. Uh, the other thing, other thing to consider is it depends on what the shot is because if it's a, a a bride and her father dancing on the dance floor and you're trying to show you know, the whole or the bride and groom, whoever, uh, and you're trying to show the whole atmosphere, you know, you're shooting a wider shot. So that ambient light does matter. Mm-hmm. But if you're zoomed in tight on them, then maybe who cares about the color of the lights in the background and, and you just get it, get the shot you need to get still. Sure.
1: That's true. So that's a good point.
0: clearly becoming really familiar with shooting in manual mode and like having it down pat, the difference between shutter speed and aperture and, and what the impacts are as you change them, that's going to be critical to this whole event right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you go in there and you're you're not comfortable with those settings, then it's going to be a real challenge to try to get some good shots here.
2: I I will say that he mentions in his question that he's been asked to photograph an indoor event along with other photographers. And if he's never done this... Hopefully the photographers are good people, such as our listeners, to where go up to them and say, "Hey, you know, can you just tell me what your settings are, just so I can kind of
0: see, you know, what you're getting as a
2: starting point?"
0: Sure, and and I think that's a great way to approach it—is as a starting point. There's been tons of photographers that are like, "I'm not going to tell you my settings because it doesn't matter. It depends on what you're using that matters, and and so my settings are are irrelevant." But at least for a starting point, Like I I remember going in there having no clue what I was going to do and I didn't even have a starting point. So I I pretty much just whatever the camera happened to be set to right then took a picture and like, all right, well, that's not good. So what do I do now and how do I change it? And um, so a, a starting point from those photographers, that would be a good thing to do. What about, um, so let, let's talk about he said he has some time. He's this isn't last minute. He's got a little bit of time to prepare. So we talked about make sure you are good in manual mode. You you know how to get your to, to change all those settings in manual mode. So it'd be good to make sure you have that down really well. The other what what other maybe equipment or gear, Erica? Let's go. I want to hear from Brian too. What Erica would you say would be like, you know, besides the one flash, add this, and that's really gonna help you. What what would be the this?
1: Well, I wrote one thing, but I kind of want to say something <laughs> else. So I'm just going to say two things. I'm going to okay. say two things.
2: All right.
1: Okay. One would be a trigger and receiver system so that you can use your flash off camera because directional light is always better. If you can get your flash off camera, it's it's it just takes your photos to the next level. Um, but if you can't do that for whatever reason, then I would recommend... Brian, I'm stealing this idea from you, even Come though on. I use it. But <laughs> the um the Magmod MagSphere, uh s- that is such a good tool, especially when shooting with your flash on camera, to really soften the light and uh, you know, soften those shadows and just create a better shape of light. So if you don't have enough to invest in an actual system to get your camera off, sorry, your flash off your camera invest in a good modifier that you can use on camera to soften the light.
0: Okay, very good. And the good thing is the young new old controller that you can put on your camera. And if you've got the YN-564, which he said he did, that thing's, only, it's really cheap. Actually the, Magmod, the MagSphere is gonna be more money than that controller is. So I'd, I'd go get the controller and get that camera off flash. Although now you also probably need a light stand. So, okay, your costs are going up. <laughs> 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 All right, Brian, what would you say? Any any other equipment you'd steer them towards? <laughs> to me, I would say if you were to buy something next,
2: it would be a second Young Nuo flash that because that has that trigger built in. And now you have two flashes and you can have the flash on your camera trigger off the other flash and you can control and use you know, your flash to kind of fill the light depending on what you're doing with the off-camera flash. So uh, uh, some type of trigger, but I would say another flash that has the trigger built into it.
0: Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. That would be my suggestion too. get the controller that you can put on your hot shoe of your camera and be able to um, use that to change the settings of the flashes that are off camera <laughs> and then have more than one flash. That would be good. Um, another, okay. another thing to be aware of is with the flash
2: is they have the, and I'm not going to use the right, term for it so i'm sure you will jeff the, um, <laughs> kind of like the quote-unquote focal length of the flash you can adjust that sure Yeah. to have it like when it flashes to have it flash more like wide like a wider light or to have it be a more direct light yep. so um, i usually have it wide and then that flashes into the diffuser which in in my mind and maybe i'm wrong it just helps diffuse it even more in a way uh-huh
0: yeah, that's that's another good thing that most of the controllers will let you do is change that zoom level too on a lot of the flashes. And this stuff, the gear that we're talking about here is not all that expensive. I mean, everything in photography is kind of expensive, but as relative things here, uh, they're not all that that expensive. So that would be good. Okay. What about if he's never really done this before? sounds like he hasn't. Let's assume he's really good with the camera settings, manuals, no problem. We're good there practicing at home or how would you say you could get ready? Maybe not even be able to go into the exact space that they're going to be shooting in, but having never done flash before, are there some techniques that you guys use to kind of get ready and learn about it? Or or do you think he has to wait till he gets to the event? Do I get an answer first? Go ahead, Brian. Yes. Score.
2: (laughs) Okay. So I would say... First, try to get an idea of what the venue is going to look like. So if you're not able to get into it to check it out, get online and check out the website and see pictures of the room from either the hotel or maybe from another photographer. So that way you have somewhat of an idea of what the seating looks like, what the the walls are like. Is it a very dark room with dark floors and everything? Or is it a brighter room? Because that's going to help you. Uh-huh. And And then I would say if you could get in to get some test shots, then do that, even if it's just right before the event starts. Uh, But if not, then practicing at home, you know, go into a room, turn the lights off most of the way or even all the way and just experiment with it that way. Okay. Erica,
0: what about you? What do you think for practicing?
1: Yeah, I think that is excellent advice. I always try to at least have the conversation beforehand about what the light and the environment's going to look like. So reach out to the organizers, reach out to people that you know who have shot in that location before and get an idea of what the environment's going to look like. That way you can try to mimic that environment at home or wherever you want to practice so that you can have an idea of what your settings should be before you get to the event.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, for me, I I did a lot of... uh, I did a lot of practicing in my basement. And even if it didn't match the settings, that's not really the point. The point was... Do I know what I'm going to do starting from the base settings or some, something that's kind of your starting point and understanding how I can control things, change things to get different looks with the light almost doesn't matter then what the actual environment ends up being because you're going to be adjusting based on the environment when you get there anyway and how they have it that night may be very different than other nights with the the lights and the events they planned on. So I, I loved it. I, I waited till like it was sundown. And then I just went in my basement in my house and I set up the lights and I, st- I practiced with them to figure out what, how do you use it? Like even how do I use the controller, the flash controller on my hot shoe? How does that, that even work? Um, so that I'm not figuring it out while I'm there and wasting all this valuable time trying to get candidates of the, the people at the event, because I don't know how to use my flash controller. So getting as much time in with the equipment, even if the environment is not even remotely close, I think was is still very valuable.
2: I would say that one of the most important things to play with when you're experimenting is the shutter speed. Uh, you know, if you had to prioritize, what do I do first? Sure. So play with the shutter speed and see the difference, you know, have it, you know, be real slow and then faster and faster, you know, whether it's starting at, I don't, I don't know, uh one 10th of a second or whatever, you know, up to one of a second up to one 200th of a second up to one 400th and see what happens mm-hmm. because you know, one thing we haven't talked about yet is that fun little photo you take and you're like, uh, what's wrong with my camera? Why is half the photo all black,
0: right? Yeah, the max sync speed is the technical term for it. And uh, it's something that every camera has. At some point, they, there is the, the entire sensor is not exposed when the flash pops. So it produces these black bars where there, it looks like there's no light coming into your camera. And so you got to look up what that value is and be careful not to go over it. Um most you're safe usually at about one one sixtieth of a second. Most camera almost every camera I've ever seen is their max sync speed is at least that. So you can at least go one one sixtieth of a second with flash. Some can go to two hundred, some two hundred fiftieth of a second. Um that's about the limit usually. Um so you got you can't go almost always you can't go up to one four hundredth of a second uh unless you have a flash that works with that called high-speed sync, but we're not going to talk about that. That's a whole separate topic. Um, mm-hmm. All right. I think we have gone through that pretty well. <laughs> and it took mm-hmm. a lot of time to get Almost there.
1: Almost an hour. Almost an <laughs> yeah. hour.
0: So I, we may have to cut out. We had plans to do a get to know the host segment, but I think we should cut that one. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, that's, yeah. we can do that next week.
0: All right. we we'll, right, we'll save that for another... Segment, um let's wrap up this episode as quick as we can, but uh, I do love this topic, so i I didn't want to, to ax it out of the episode, even though we could have kind of just stopped where we were at. Um, Erica, you found an article uh, there was one that kind of spoke to you from Petapixel. why don't you tell us about it?
1: yeah it was it was um actually it was a video, I believe that two female photographers made it's a really s- simple concept. The video was super short, I think it was like two minutes long, but right. it was essentially. The four portrait locations that you can find in any neighborhood. So they, they grabbed their cameras. They went walking around their neighborhood and found four very, uh, very nice and consistent backgrounds that you can literally find anywhere. Um, they their their four ideas were solid colored walls or like big garage doors that were solid colors. Bushes, trees, foliage that just have a nice green, consistent background. Um, higher locations. So the example that they used was climbing up on top, having your subject climb up on top of a playground. So the subject was up higher than the photographer. And then the fourth one was corners or anything with with interesting intersecting lines. Um, and it was just, it was an interesting concept because it's so simple yet something that I think people don't think about a lot. I feel like I'm constantly hearing people talk about, you know, I don't have any place in my area with good backgrounds or somebody please tell me where I should go to get a good background. And I think people put too much thought into it they try to just they put too much effort into it when you literally could walk out of your door walk around the block and find a ton of good locations i think that's just something that's overlooked a lot and something that people stress about and and shouldn't
0: (laughs) right so do you do much out in your your in these kinds of settings eric or are you mostly in the studio
1: no, I shoot a lot out of the studio. I live um, downtown. So I have a ton of options around me, some within walking distance, some, you know, within just a really short drive. But I prefer to shoot out of my studio more than in for the most part.
0: I will put a link to the video in the show notes so you can go check it out. It is really, really quick. So it'd be worth going and kind of seeing it so you can kind of envision what it is they're pointing out. So Brian, what about you? Do you, do you use backgrounds like these four types? Well, first of all,
2: Erica, for the record, they didn't walk around their town. They <laughs> <scootered>. sk- skateboarded and scootered. Scooted. That's true. Yes.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh,
2: so I live I live in a downtown area that's kind of trendy, I guess, in a way. It's an uh, arts and design center. Is, there's like an official sign saying you're entering the arts and design center. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a fairly affluent community. So the parks, the buildings, everything is very well taken care of, which is nice and provides, you know, for some nice clean backgrounds. But to me, I like more nature or more broken down type situations. Uh, I don't do a whole lot of photography downtown whenever if it's seniors or families or whatever, they'll ask me about parks and they'll they'll have this park that they'll want to go to that is like really far away. And I try to tell them, you know, I first asked, well, is there something important about that place? And usually they're like, no, just trying to find a park. And I try to get people to understand that when it comes to the photo, you know, the park's not usually in the photo. Right. It's a picture of you guys. And yes, we need a little bit of nice background behind you, but we don't need to drive 45 minutes to a park for that unless <laughs> they're wanting, you know, a specific uh, you know, we have covered bridges here in Indiana, so maybe they want that, or maybe they want a certain building, but t- to me, you can pretty much go out anywhere and, and get some good shots. And lately I've been finding that just when you experiment with flash, you can do so much like anywhere. And I've talked about before the shots that I did recently of one of my sons where he's doing this like soccer kick in the air. Uh, and then my daughter, she's like throwing flour and, yeah. The The throwing flower one was just in the alley behind our house. And the one of my son doing a soccer kick was in a, just a grass yard and there's an apartment behind it. But I I shot it later at night and with flash. And so you have no clue where I was. But I, I just I don't I, I agree with these people as far as like you can find a lot
0: right where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is exactly what my wife and I do with our portraits. So the, the, the paid work that we do is family portraits primarily, but we do some seniors too. And yeah, we we use these kinds of backgrounds. And it's become kind of a thing where, I mean, bef- way before we saw this, the, you know, this article is pointed out to us, uh, we've kind of noted around us that all within about 15 minutes, there's not, we don't have to go very far. And there's plenty of places with each of these types that where we can take it and then we can just talk to the family saying, first off, I ask them, do you have a place that means something to you? You want to go to? And sometimes they do. Sometimes there's a place that's meaningful to them. They want to go and take the photos of them. That, well, great. Let's go there. Let's take the photos. Uh, if they don't. And and so, I don't know, maybe 30, 40% of the time, something like I said, no, nah, I don't really care. Just some place pretty then I say, okay, well, we don't have to go very far. So here, here let's go here. And, and then I ask them about like, what kind of a background are you looking for? Something that looks more natural kind of uh, trees and, and foliage and stuff, or, do you want uh, more urban feel? What, what is it you want to be? And that'll tell us kind of where we should start. And then there's places really the close to us that has all of this. So we can just kind of try a whole bunch of stuff. If they're like, I don't have any idea. That's why we're hiring you. <laughs> then, then we go and, you know, we have a couple of spots we go to that are real close and we try all of them. And then they go kind of pick out which ones they like. And And, uh, some of the places are like, really, we're going to take it in front of this (laughs) and say, it'll be fine. Trust me, it'll be good. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it does end up good. So anyway, yeah, just noticing that as you're kind of around town and try to think of it more like if it's going to be super blurry in the background of this, would it, would that look pretty good? Um, because like one of my favorite ones, it's this kind of greenish wall on a city building here in my little town. And it's like, uh, aluminum siding that 's riveted to the wall, and um, there 's this big massive like power outlet in the middle of it there's uh, it it's, doesn 't look like this spectacular place to shoot, but once we get the people kind of in front of it and stepped a little bit away from it so it can the, it can get blurry in the background and uh, and they're covering that power outlet then it's it's fabulous it works really well and and almost always they're like i did not expect those photos to look that cool in front of mm. that place <laughs> that, that looks so ordinary and would, they would never have thought to stop there and take photos i think the one on the list that i don't have as much of is the corners or intersecting lines and so i'm going to i'm going to keep an eye out for those and and see where I might uh, have some of those. I probably missed some opportunities with that. So I'm going to look out for I, that.
2: I think that's easier than what you would expect because in some of the photo examples that they used, the corners were like the corners of a of a building. Sure. Or you can use like the end of a fence. Um, But the intersecting lines they had also, they had the girls sitting down like on a basketball court. So the out-of-bounds lines that kind of led to her. So those were kind of leading lines. So I th- I think they're definitely around. But yeah, it does take a little bit of a creative eye and, and thinking differently and you don't need to find a big space. You know, if you find something the size of a garage door, I, you're lucky. I mean, I think that's, that's more than enough. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think your, your point about having a creative eye is really important here because you, you could have, you could be limited to, let's say five locations for the rest of your life and you could create, you could still create tons of different looking photos with those five locations, because it's all about your composition, and your placement, and your lighting, and how you choose to create that photo. So, you know, the three of us could be placed in front of a wall, and we could shoot that, that portrait very differently, just by moving ourselves or changing the light or whatever. So I think it's, Uh, maybe the the deeper message here is you can find backgrounds anywhere, but think creatively about how to make them interesting.
0: Perfect. All right. I know we went over that way faster than we had anticipated. but I think we kind of need to wrap it up. So uh, let's go to our doodads. And Erica, let's start with you.
1: My doodad is super simple, but something I love and my clients love. They're just the metal Christmas ornaments from Miller's. They're $8.50 dollars. They are metal, so they're really good quality. They're double-sided. You can choose to have the same photo on both sides or you can have a different photo on each side. Um, and it's it's something that I gift to my clients during holiday season every year, and I also buy them as gifts for my family. So uh, whether I've taken photos of my niece and nephew throughout the year or my parents throughout the year or whatever, I will print out some ornaments with the, with the date and the photos on it and give them as gifts and people love them and they're super cheap and they're definitely more personal than you know a lot of other gifts
0: (laughs) i love that idea i think i might even try that (laughs) it would be fun to take like the shots i've done of family portraits through the year a lot of the families don't think like especially the fathers they don't want to do this again so they they put it off as long as they possibly can and it would be good to kind of help them remember that they had good shots this from the the sh- this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to do it for clients, send them a you know send them the ornament and then send them I don't know a fifty dollars yeah. off their next session right. or something. Right. Um, that's a, a good way to remind them to think about you and to also bring them back to you to give you more money. <laughs>
0: right. Okay, perfect, Brian. What about you?
2: So I think for the holidays, we're all going to send each other like metal ornaments <laughs> to Connor and Brent and everyone. It'll be fun. Um, and side comment, I'm a big fan of Miller's. I love just how quickly uh, they deliver their products. Me
1: too. Yeah.
2: Okay. So mine is, so I, I bought not that long ago the Mavic Pro drone and I was waiting for the Mavic Pro 2. come out for months and I think I already preached about that on a previous episode. So I bought the Maverick Pro and I love it and it's so fun. However, I definitely see the limitations with the camera on it and trying to get uh, some more megapixels and just better quality. And so for me, i I'm wanting my dad is to try to sell my Mavic pro. So if anyone's interested, let me know. It's only been used <laughs> like 10, 15 times um, and get the Mavic pro too. I've had a few companies that saw that I had posted that I have a drone now. And so they're asking me for things and I'm like, Okay. You know, I kind of got it as a way for myself to play with it and experiment and I got some fun shots with it and even used it at a wedding that I had a couple weeks ago to get a cool shot of the bride and groom kind of just walking through, uh, through the grass. But, uh, I feel that for a lot of the shots that I'll need, cause I do some architectural type stuff, uh, the Mavic pro two has the, um, sensor quality that I need. So it's an expensive doodad, but that's mine. Perfect. I still don't
0: have a drone. I don't know if I'll ever be there. (laughs) Hey, I know someone selling one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a good price. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. There's so many things before that that I needed my photography gear. Uh, Okay. Mine is going to be really geeky. It's a backup utility for Windows. And I used to use uh, some stuff that came free with Windows. And you can do that. And I have a podcast on Photo Taco Podcast all about it um if if people are interested but i have switched i decided to pay for a utility it's 20 bucks it's called um it's it's supposed to be like backup 2 but instead of the a it's a v so it's BVCKUP 2. kind of a funny name but this utility is really really good Uh, it what's really nice about it's, it's super fast and there's lots of technical details about why it's fast um, that I, I won't go into, but it's it also does checks to make sure that as it copied, it got everything over there. Kind of it, it it does a very good job of validating everything, and uh, works just super consistently. They have updates coming, like I think this month. I've had three different updates from it. I don't know what they're updating. I'm not even worried about it, but they do. Have very, it's just the developers really really solid, and uh, I can highly highly recommend it as a really good way to make sure you have good backups happening from, say, your main drive to a a secondary drive and just have it do it. So if you if you use Windows, this is the utility to go and get and it makes it super easy to set it up and and make that happen. So 20 bucks, it's worth it. All right. Let's uh, remind everyone MasterPhotographyPodcast.com. It's the home for the show. So be sure to head over there and check it out. Facebook group. Just search in Facebook for Master Photography Podcast or go to the show notes. There's a a link to the group. You do have to ask to join, but all you have to do is name one of the hosts of the show. So that'll Jeff or Erica or Brian will all work. And uh, my work is at jsharmanphotos.com. Um, my other podcast is phototacopodcast.com. So you can head over there for the really, truly geeky kind of <laughs> photography stuff. Uh, on Facebook, I'm Harmon Jeff. On Twitter, I'm Harmon underscore Jeff. And on Instagram, Harmon Jeff. Erica, where can people find you?
1: You can find me online and on Facebook and Instagram at Erica K Photography. And that is Erica with a C-E-R-I-C-A-K-A-Y Photography. And obviously, you can also check me out on the Portrait Session podcast.
2: Perfect. Brian, what about you? BrianMcGuckin.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-M-C-G-U-C-K-I-N.com. Uh, Facebook, it's the, I don't know, do you say at with it? It's Brian McGuckin Photography, but just <laughs> search Brian McGuckin. Uh, Instagram is at Brian McGuckin. So is my Twitter, which I don't use a whole
0: lot. All right. Very good. Well, thanks you guys for joining me at this round table episode. It was a lot of fun talking with you and listeners hope you enjoyed it and we will see you again in another seven days.